0: Hey everyone, this is Stefan Miller, and welcome to The Forever Student. She is a Harvard-trained psychiatrist, a professional chef, and a trained nutrition specialist. Her nexus of interests have found their niche in nutritional psychiatry, which we will go into today. Dr. Naidu founded and directs the first hospital-based nutritional psychiatry service in the U.S., She's the Director of Nutritional and Lifestyle Psychiatry at Mass General Hospital and Director of Nutritional Psychiatry at MGH Academy while serving on the faculty at Harvard Medical School. She is the author of This Is Your Brain on Food, the Indispensable Guide to Surprising Foods that Fight Depression, Anxiety, PTSD, and many more. She was considered Harvard's mood food expert and is with us today, Dr. Uma Naidu. Welcome to The Forever Student.
1: Thank you so much, Stefan. Thanks for inviting me.
0: I'd love to know more about your journey into understanding the importance of food and the connection to the brain.
1: Absolutely. I think that it started pretty early on in my life. Uh, I grew up in a very large South Asian Indian family and food was very central to life and to family get togethers. But we also had lots of doctors, allopathic medical doctors, as well as Ayurvedic practitioners in the family. So There was always a conversation about science, health, good eating, nutrition, and that type of thing. Um, So, you know, from early days, I skipped the part where I could have gone to play school um, and spent the time instead with my maternal grandmother because my mom was in medical school. And so I would, you know, help her fresh, pick fresh vegetables from the garden and help her prepare the meal. So it was sort of ingrained in, in how I grew up. And when I moved away from my um, my uh, immediate family to study, I really had to take family recipes and spices and those, <clears throat> those ideas with me. And what I realized was that even though I began to cook later in life because I was spoiled by having so many aunts and grandmothers and mothers in the kitchen, that food and nutrition and cooking was a very special creative space for me. And unlike my colleagues at, at school who would, be thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to cook for dinner? What am I going to get for dinner? I would be very excited to see what I could put together or create. And again, I I followed my instinct about things that I loved to do. And when I started to learn about psychiatric medications, and I also realized they were devastating side effects to some of them, not that they haven't saved the lives of many of my patients, but we also have to admit that many medications also have side effects. And I realized that There had to be more tools that uh, an individual taking medication should have. If they, you know, how could they better help themselves? They could take medication, but could they also do exercise? Could they eat differently? Could they sleep better? Could they be well hydrated? Could they meditate? Um, There's always a space for mindfulness in all of this. And that's really how these ideas began to develop in me. And I began to ask the questions, and found that, you know, medical school education is lacking in nutrition for doctors. So some medical schools do a better job than others, but I felt that was something I needed to study because it had meaning to me. Um, So that got incorporated into what I was doing. And at the same time, I uh, used to watch Julia Childs when I was studying. She was on public television and she was my food hero. Uh, So unlike the the, uh, Indian family that I grew up with, uh, you know, she was quite different and very funny, but she taught me to be confident in the kitchen. I would watch her on uh, the the, the public channel on television in Boston because at that point, you know, I, I couldn't afford cable television and all those fancy things. But she was a lot of entertainment. And she um, helped me with that confidence. And so when I read about her life and followed her work, I realized that she, as a second career, uh, became a chef. And that was really her forte in the world. And that made me feel, well, if she could do it, why can't I? And so this, this began the thought process in my head. And when there was an opportunity to work my schedule around including studying more and working more hours to do it, I did. And, and I, it was one of the best experiences of my life. It taught me a lot. Um, and again, even at that point, Stefan, I wasn't thinking this is going to be the work I do in my life. I will say that hindsight is twenty twenty. I didn't have a formed plan, but I followed things that I loved to do. And I followed my gut instinct. And I was very fortunate when the work and my interest in nutrition and mental well-being came together with the culinary arts because people will often take advice, but then they don't know what to do with a certain food or they don't know how to make something or how can you simplify um, something that seems complicated to a person. And we, you know, one of us may think, Oh, it's easy to make a salad. Someone else may not. So it really depends on that person's experience. And then I realized the power of bringing those combinations of things and training together and began my clinic, um, to really support the nutritional um, mental health of my patients because I saw it as a powerful tool that can improve their well-being and that's you know uh, in a very long-winded story but that's how I came to came to do this
0: and so you've created this this niche which is called nutritional psychiatry. Could you go a bit deeper into the meaning of it and and the implications of it?
1: Sure. So the way I have practiced nutritional psychiatry is that I feel an individual who may be prescribed the medication or may not be, maybe the person is thinking, I would like to feel emotionally better. Um, I'm not depressed. I'm not anxious, but I just, I wish I could feel better. That feeling emotionally is something we tend not to pay attention to in relation to food. We think, I need a pill. I need to see a doctor. I may need to get a blood test. Very few people think that they can actually go to their kitchen and that some answers could be at the end of their fork. And I think that that's a very powerful thing. And I felt that understanding what the literature was saying an interpretation of the good research, the the opposite types of research, but understanding all of that was important for people. Because of my my clinic, I was reading and studying and researching this all the time, and I felt bringing this together and bringing it forward in a book was going to be important. Because my patients would only come honestly come in very confused. One day it was a paleo diet. One day it was should I be vegan. Another one it was you know should I give up uh, should I give up fat? Should I give up carbs? Should I give up you know gluten? What whatever it is, people were coming in quite confused about what they should do. So I don't demonize an ingredient. I provide evidence or what we know of the clinical trials behind something. Um, Sometimes it's animal research, but but many, and in fact, I would argue all research starts with animal research. So we have to start somewhere to to create a hypothesis around something. Um, I brought this all forward in my book and What I continue to say is that just like you cannot exercise out of a bad diet, you can't supplement your way with, you know, a supplement or other, other form of pill. Uh, You can't supplement your way out of a bad diet. It really starts with healthy whole foods. And what nutritional psychiatry does is provides the evidence behind the different foods that you can eat for different mental health conditions, which I share in my book. And the references are at the back for those people who want to look them up. And use them in a way, um, my work has become much more personalized because of the gut microbiome being so so much like a thumbprint for people that much of it is now very personalized depending on the individual sitting in front of me in my office. Um, And I put together a personalized nutritional psychiatry treatment plan, um, a dietary plan of things they can eat. Maybe they're deficient in certain supplements. Maybe we need to look at some blood tests and then help them really heal their mental well-being through the use of food.
0: And what are some of the biggest issues that you see in the mental health space today, specifically with the patients that come to see you?
1: The biggest, um, I would say that because of the pandemic, things like anxiety, depression, the risk of suicide, trauma, uh, even from the pandemic itself, and insomnia are the biggest things on the rise. At the background of everything um, is people drinking more alcohol and using more drugs because of being quarantined, being confined, uh, getting bored, um, you know, having less access in certain places to care um, and help and, um, you know, having that extra glass of wine or two or more cocktails when, when they're home than they would normally. So all of this is on the rise and I'm actively seeing it more in my practice. And it's also been evidenced to fund by the way that uh, certain surveys were done in the United States over the early part of COVID. Um, and I, I'm happy to share that data if it would be helpful, but we we, we saw this also being shown in the clinical trials of being done.
0: That's very interesting. What are some of the biggest, let's call them misconceptions you see with food today, maybe even particularly over the COVID period, and, and, and where do those misconceptions stem from? You briefly mentioned and touched on um, different types of diets like vegan, paleo, and keto, um, but are there other sort of misconceptions that you can think of?
1: I, I think that many, many um, of what I would call food fads um, confuse people. So whether it's through media or online, um, television, Um, magazines, books, whatever it is, people feel that they have to include or exclude certain foods and that if they don't do that, they either won't lose weight or they won't be healthy or something else won't happen. When it comes to mental well-being, I consider myself diet agnostic. So it really doesn't matter what I'm putting on my plate, but it does matter that I can help an individual coming in with mental health problems. Again, they may not have a fully a full diagnosis. They may just not be feeling good. And if they come in and say, Well, I eat a carnivore diet, it really is up to me. It's my challenge to say, well, are there thing ways we can tweak this diet to improve your mental well-being? The misconceptions I think arise from people feeling, oh, this fad or this diet will help me lose weight or this diet will help me with my memory or this diet will help me do something else. And sometimes these diets are not necessarily, not necessarily, um, based on, um, sort of a healthy eating plan. They tend to exclude certain food groups. What I say is that there's certain foods to be careful of. If you have certain conditions, for example, if you have anxiety, there has been research to show that eating gluten can worsen anxiety, but that may may not be for everyone. Not all of my patients with anxiety have to give up bread and gluten, but some do. And sometimes it's a process of slow elimination to see how the patient clinically does. So I, I really don't like people to exclude food because there's always a boomerang effect. They give up something and then a week later, two weeks later, they crave it. And there's often a boomerang effect. So I'd rather look at what the evidence shows and say, should we try this for a week? Could you try eliminating this, this food from your diet and see if your anxiety improves? That clinical correlation is very powerful. And sometimes it lines up with the research and sometimes it doesn't. And that's where things become highly personalized.
0: So I think the whole process of slow elimination is something that's that's been very helpful for me personally. What about... Sort of the slow addition piece, because I think if you're looking at anxiety in particular, what are some foods that um, that could essentially help combat that or or lessen that? And is it something that is applicable to all people, or is it once again not a one-glove-fits-all approach?
1: It's sort of uh, there are some general principles to fund, um, What I call uh, pillars of mental health that that are I think would would really help anyone, improve their mental well-being. Um, and then there are also um, more specifics of of not only foods that people need to include, but also uh, foods that you have to be wary of which could worsen symptoms. And I think that's also helpful for people to know because people know about things like, you know, they have a family history of diabetes. And so for that reason, they're careful about what they eat or a family history of high blood pressure, or they've gained some extra pounds during COVID. But many people don't realize that there are lots of things that we have to be careful of, which drive mental health symptoms. People make the association with our physical health, but not our mental health. Um, you know, and those are uh, the culprits tend to be the added and refined sugars, the um, trans fats, the uh, processed vegetable oils that are pro-inflammatory. Um, junk foods, processed foods, ultra-processed foods, sugar-sweetened beverages—those types of things—and there's actually a good amount of evidence that these wor- worsen mental health symptoms. But in terms of um, things that can improve anxiety and help you, you know, fiber, fiber-rich foods like um, beans, lentils, nuts, seeds, healthy whole grains, fruits, and vegetables have fiber. And fiber is very, very important for helping to maintain both uh, uh, an even keel of your blood sugar and less spikes in insulin. Um, Because I noticed clinically, my patients are less anxious when they eat a more um, complex carbohydrate or fiber-rich food. Um, including prebiotic foods in your diet, which help those gut bacteria to thrive, including fermented foods like yogurt or kombucha or miso or tempeh, pickled vegetables, all are important. And, you know, there are also uh, foods that are rich in certain vitamins that I talk about in the book, which you should add in for anxiety, spices like turmeric with a pinch of black pepper and um, a certain, certain uh, minerals, uh, magnesium is one of them. If you're deficient in magnesium, you know, it could be that that's worsening your anxiety and could, there could be an easy way to either supplement that uh, depending on how deficient you are or just include it through the foods that you're eating. So those are, that's how I break down each chapter of my book. Um, of, of things to eat and things to avoid.
0: You mentioned prebiotics and you mentioned fiber, which I know have a healthy sort of impact on our gut microbiome. Could you talk about the relationship between our gut and our mood?
1: Absolutely. So you know, um, as as a patient told me and I read about in the book, um, you know, when I started talking to her about the gut and the brain uh, and in the conversation in nutritional psychiatry, she sort of looked at me puzzled, like, why, why would there even be a connection, which I understood, right? Because if you think about the organs of the body, they're not close by. But when you explain to people that the gut and brain arise from the same cells in the embryo and that they are then moved, they then form organs that move to different parts of the body and then they are connected throughout life by the vagus nerve, which is the 10th cranial nerve, which connects the brain to the gut, to the gut to the brain, but also is like a two way superhighway, working 24 7 with chemical messages that travel back and forth. Um, that helps them to understand. And then Um, you know, a very popular medication is an SSRI or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor like Zoloft, Prozac, Paxil, um, Selexa, Lexapro. These medications um, work, are called SSRIs because they um, impact serotonin, but more than 90% of the serotonin receptors are the gut. So that becomes important just to put together for people so they understand that Whereas we, we, there's emerging evidence and ongoing trials around the gut-brain connection. There's a lot of research to show that there is this connection. Um, studies that compare the use of a probiotic to Prozac or um, really show that these food substances can be quite powerful. And that's uh, the best way to help people understand that there's this connection, that research is ongoing. We are learning more but we shouldn't ignore it. Uh, we should be paying attention to it.
0: And in your research over the past few years, what are some of the most surprising things that you've come across?
1: Some of the surprising things that I uh, that I came across are things like, um, you know, I know that sort of processed foods and junk foods are not great, but when I understood that nitrates, which are, are used in cured and preserved meats and certain other foods actually worsen depression, that was important because a person may think, oh, I'm eating this as a healthy lunch or adding this to a salad. But when you realize that um, they might actually be worsening a symptom, that becomes important. Um, And also when I reviewed the research around the use of trans fats, um, people again know the medical uh, problems that can arise, but for mental health, they're associated with behavioral aggression. Um, so the fact that there are such, there is such information out there, I felt was important for people to at least know once they know the information, my book is intended to be a guide. It's not treatment. Once they have the information, they can make an informed choice. But I think feeling and knowing that they are informed is very, very important for, especially in this day and age of where we're at during a pandemic, people being concerned about their immunity, um, et cetera. So it's, it's a powerful tool that we can all use.
0: Absolutely, there. I mean, we're going through a very, very tough time, and I and I think it's it's definitely a, a case globally where we should help each other out, and we should help ourselves in whichever way we can, and and it definitely starts with something like nutrition and food. If someone wants to take that first step today um, to increase their mood, their positive mood, and, and decrease symptoms of whether it is anxiety, whether it's depression or PTSD or whatever it may be, are there some general recommendations that you can make?
1: I, I, I definitely can. It might seem really general, but it actually is much more important than we realize. Um, one in 10 Americans eats enough or eats their servings of uh, vegetables in a day. And it's not, my argument here is not about being plant-based or for informing you that you should have a certain diet. The, the power of vegetables fruit and some of those other ingredients and foods I listed just earlier is that they are rich in fiber and they actually support your gut health. What do I mean by that? In your gut are housed trillions of these organisms. They are bacteria, fungi, different types of microbes. And they live there with a purpose. They they live there and, and since they live with us in our bodies, we should be taking care of them is what I tell my patients. Excuse me. And we can take care of them through how we eat. Um, When we feed them good, healthy foods, they thrive. When we feed them junk foods and fast foods, the bad guys thrive. And when they thrive, they overcome the good microbes in the gut. That's the setup for inflammation. That becomes important because just a simple thing like right now today, if you're not eating enough vegetables in your diet, so you might be eating a steak, you might be eating chicken, you may be eating anything, um, maybe salmon, but increasing the servings of vegetables that you're having in a day, and the types of vegetables I'm talking about are green leafy vegetables, uh, cruciferous vegetables, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, um, things like asparagus and others. Um, You know. I would So in other words, I'm referring to the lower glycemic vegetables that are less starchy, By including those more and more in your diet and having those colors of the different types of vegetables, sweet peppers, bell peppers. Um, those colors also bring back rich antioxidants for the brain and for the gut. That's a simple thing that any one of us can start doing because that actually helps the gut microbes thrive. And when they thrive, we start on really improving um, our gut health and improving our mood. The connection is that when our gut microbes are well taken care of, they do their best to function well. And the chemical messages and the, the substances that they form in the gut are positive for us and our health, especially our brain health. Because if your gut is inflamed and you're eating just junk foods and fast foods every day, we know that in a 24 hour period, that the microbial environment, the microbes in the gut can change. We don't feel it immediately. It may take a few weeks to show up, but that if we're eating a poor diet, that inflammation starts to get set up. And when the inflammation sets up in the gut there's a loop that feeds back to brain inflammation or neuroinflammation, and so we want to be careful about keeping our gut in good balance. And what I like to say is, you know, a happy gut is a happy mood because actually it ends up being true.
0: How do you define neuroinflammation, and and what are sort of the effects of, uh, I suppose, brain inflammation?
1: Sure. Uh, so brain inflammation is neuro neuroinflammation, and and so very simply, it's the the fact that how, the way that it shows up is an easier way to explain it. I had a patient who had never, never struggled with anxiety in her life, young woman and adults, a young adult woman, and she had this great promotion at work. But she came into my office super anxious, wanting Prozac. Um, and she said, you know, can you please give me Prozac or Zoloft? I um, have terrible anxiety. So when I spoke with her and I obtained her history, I understood that because of her promotion, she she had changed her life over the 18 months prior to my seeing her. And it involved more travel, very few meals at home, uh, more alcoholic beverages at dinner because she was eating out at business meetings, um, whereas at home, she might have a glass of wine on the weekend. Um, She was eating on the go at airports, fast foods, uh, takeout. Um, arriving late at a hotel, um, not restaurant was closed. So she would eat something out of the bar fridge, like a, a, a snack or a chocolate. And all of this had changed over a period of about 18 months, but she presented with anxiety and we actually tweaked her diet over time and really helped to heal her gut so that she her symptoms subsided over time. Now that's a very powerful thing because she was she wasn't eager to take a medication, she was desperate and she was feeling super anxious, but she was functioning. So, we were able to work out with, with we were able to work out together that she was able to start making these healthy changes immediately. And over time, she really noticed um, using um, scales for anxiety that we test, etc., she was actually noticing her anxiety lower. So what had happened is her gut became inflamed. She had a condition of what we call dysbiosis or inflammation of the gut. Over time, over the 18 months, what happened is that fed back and she developed uh, some brain inflammation. And that was starting to drive symptoms of anxiety um, that presented that way. Now, as we healed everything, a lot of it subsided. So, you know, I think that it's important to understand that food can be a powerful tool. It is not the same for everyone. Um, everyone's, uh, situation is actually quite different now because the microbiome is so unique to each one of us, but it is a very powerful for me to understand that it could have changed because of her dietary changes and her lifestyle changes.
0: What I would love to get into as well, and it's something that you, uh, mentioned quite often on your social media channels, on your blog, it's different spices and, and their effects. Um, I'm actually a huge fan of using turmeric and, and, uh, and pepper and cinnamon and, and all that good stuff. And I, I was just wondering if you could maybe give a few examples of, of spices that are beneficial to our health and, and how we can take them.
1: Absolutely. Um, so I, um, love spices. Uh, I think that they are a low calorie, no salt, no sugar added um, type of food that we can add to our meals and really enhance the flavor. Because I really feel that food doesn't have to not taste good to be healthy. It's actually very important to taste good because if not, people don't want to eat it. Um, And that's where spices come in, especially for me. And Uh, My favorite, one of my favorite go-tos is turmeric with a pinch of black pepper. But also if you're preparing um, your your food and you're cooking with a healthy fat or healthy oil, that's another way that turmeric can become active. Um, There are a few people in the world who cannot tolerate black pepper, but the other option is to add in a pinch of black pepper to make it more bioavailable to your brain and to your body. That's one of my favorites. And if you don't cook, like, like I started cooking late in life, you can add it to a soup, a smoothie, a tea, um, and, and still get the benefit. But then, you know, there's uh, chili peppers because capsaicin and chili peppers are actually very effective, um, and are, are good for health. Um, and they actually are not associated with, uh, with what we used to think many, many years ago about ulcers and, and that type of thing. So they have good benefits. Um, on the medical side of things, they even used, capsaicin is used, uh, for pain. Um, then there's saffron. Saffron is, there's a tremendous amount of evidence for saffron and improvement in mood, but because, uh, you know, we use very little saffron in one dish, uh, and to get the benefit you'd meet, need a lot more than that. That's an occasion where if someone wants to look into a supplement for saffron, that might be something that could help their mood. And then, like you mentioned, the cinnamon. Um, you know, there there are just a host of spices that I go through in the book that are powerful for mental well being and easy to just add in. Um, so, you know, I, I think I I think that's the uh, it's almost like the hidden ingredient in our pantry that we are overlooking.
0: Hundred percent, absolutely. And do you what's your take on supplements? Because I know that people have. Different opinions on this because there's a lot of the vitamins and the minerals that we can get from our food, and and you know better than anyone else. But is there are there specific supplements that you recommend everyone to take, um, or is it really case by case?
1: It's largely case by case with a few caveats. This is how I think about it. Just like you can't exercise out of a bad diet, you can't supplement your way out of a bad diet. So if you are fundamentally eating junk foods and fast foods, and processed foods all the time having a supplement for a multivitamin or whatever it is, is not going to make up for how you're eating because like we've just explained, that food is still going to impact your, your gut microbiome, which is very important. Um, so how I think about it is the following. There's certain parts of the world, like where I live in the Northeast of America, uh, many people are deficient in vitamin D because of the sunlight levels. So that may be something they need to consider. Um, there are some people who, um, you know, uh, have a certain diet, they might be vegan or vegetarian, so they're not eating meat. And when they're not eating meat, they may not get enough vitamin B12. So there are special circumstances and it's personalized to answer your question, um, I think that uh, magnesium is something we can easily get through food and it helps mood and it helps anxiety. So my position in supplements is take it. If you have a deficiency, take it depend on, depending on where you live and your access to sunshine uh, because the largest source of vitamin D is actual sunshine. And um, and if you can get it through food, start there. Um, but if you you know have a problem, say with calcium and you are aging and you're concerned about your bone health, you might want to speak to your doctor about supplementing that, but discuss it with your doctor. Um, first and foremost, try through food and then it's those special, uh, either special diet or where you live or something else that would, would factor into it. Um, are there supplements that everyone should take? Not, not really. I, I don't feel committed to that but I'm very open to someone who comes in and say, says to me, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm taking this. And if they seem reasonable, that's okay. Um, I think that, uh, probiotics and fermented foods really help our gut, but like many people try adding on a probiotic supplement, perfectly fine. Um, other people, um, you know, add on, um, add on, other things. And, and that could be okay too. But again, they'd have to tell me what it is. And I would look at the literature or look at my research on this can help a certain uh, condition a little bit more.
0: And how would we find, let's take a probiotic as an example. How would we find out which one is the right one to take or which one is of the highest quality? Because I feel there's so many different ones out there. Uh, how do we go about choosing?
1: Sure. So in my book, there are certain studies that have been linked with certain conditions. And so once you look at it, you could always say, well, I should look for, for a probiotic ask the pharmacist, or where you're getting it from. Um, do, does it have that um, that microbe in it, that, or that bacteria in it that could help my gut? The other way to do it is to buy a good quality uh, probiotic and try to see, you know, if it says take one a day, then try it out and see how you feel. It might take your gut a while to get used to it. It's very hard because certainly in the United States, these are not regulated. So they really are there for people to try. Um, And I think that that tends to be uh, with probiotics, what, what I feel. And I think if you find one that you like, that is recommended. Is good quality. Continue using it and and use food. Um, so I think it, that's that's perfectly fine to do. There's
0: there's a couple of more there's a couple more subjects that I that I really want to address that you um, that I think you mentioned in the book as well. One of them is neuroplasticity, and I would like for you to to sort of define it and then how food can impact that.
1: Sure. So with the with the, with a lot of these, um, these descriptions. It's not as, as literal as if I eat a certain food, it will do this to my brain. It it is through these mechanisms that I speak about in the book. Very simply what we understand about the brain is that the brain can change and that as we age, as we eat, as we live, that, um, it's not a static organ, you know, new cells are formed all the time. And so, what we want to be able to do is eat in a way that allows for the success of our brain. You know, our, I would argue that our brain is the most important organ in the body, because if our brain doesn't function, the rest of our body doesn't function. And it becomes really important how we eat because how we eat affects the ongoing environment of the brain so that's that's for me the argument for for eating healthy we all have to eat we most of us eat several times a day and why not eat for our best brain health and our best uh, neuroplasticity in the brain
0: how can we ensure that the the foods that we eat the healthy foods that we eat are as impactful as they can be if that makes sense
1: so, I think that a good way to start making that adjustment is to look at what you're eating right now today. And with any one of us, including myself, we may not be eating something as healthy as we should be. Um, start there. If, for example, you have a craving every day for a certain candy bar, a certain snack that you sort of feel, you know, I could do better, this is not the healthiest option for me. Um, Stop there. See if you can start to make healthy changes, even with one or two foods in your diet. Maybe, as I said earlier, you can include more vegetables. Maybe you can have uh, one to two servings of fruit in a day. My favorites are the low glycemic foods like berries are great um, to include in, in your diet. And can you include a healthy fat, a small piece of avocado in your daily meal? Um, can you increase your leafy greens? Because the leafy greens, the greener, the better because the folates are very important for mood, very important for your brain cells. So are there things that you can do like that, that are small tweaks, but you start to almost build up and implement a plan that over time is going to help you? Because I think that when I say to people, um, or if I were to say to people, oh, do these 10 things, it's very hard to, suddenly change up 10 things that you're doing. But if I said to you, well, you've told me that you, you know, you're drinking a certain um, soda every single day, or you've told me that you're eating something that, you know, you wonder, could I give up the snack because it's not that healthy for me? Can we stop there instead of that potato chip or that candy bar? Can we teach you to make a healthier fruit-based dessert that you can have a little serving of, and be satisfied? Or can you learn that extra dark chocolate, raw natural dark chocolate, 80% or darker without added sugars um, is actually super healthy for your brain. It has serotonin, it has magnesium, it has it's a probiotic, it, it's super healthy. Can you switch from the candy bar to a small piece of dark chocolate that is satisfying? Um, and, and I think helping people on a continuum like that is what slowly helps habit change that and that becomes important because if not becomes overwhelming especially with diet and with food becomes overwhelming for people to just make changes
0: absolutely i'm curious to know what your take is on frequency so if we're looking at a healthy food is it something that we should be eating every day is it something that we should be eating two or three times a week just in terms of the impact on on our health,
1: sure, it depends on the food. So, if it say was salmon, salmon is rich in um, omega three fatty acids, um, and those are good for our brain, antioxidant, anti inflammatory effect. A good a good source. Um, two to three servings a week are okay, but if you eat one serving a week, that's fine. Um, say you are, um, I I I think that that the things that are uh, foods you can you can eat every day to improve your mental health are the vegetables, uh, appropriate servings of fruit because fruit can be high glycemic as well, in, and if you're overweight, as many of us in the US are. We have to be a little careful of that. So it's not that fruit is unhealthy. It's that you have to be a little bit careful if you're trying to um, improve your weight. And the reason is that our metabolic health is so important now. Um, So, you know, healthy servings of vegetables, a couple of servings of healthy fruit, and then including the fiber in your diet. Those are things you can do right now. And spices, you can change that right now. You can include that every day. you know, you can have two to three cups of greens in a day or more, and you'd be fine because it's very low calorie. So I would say include those every day and things like your, your proteins, uh, seafood or animal proteins, space them out during the week and, and enjoy them if that's what you eat. Um, And if you eat them every day, then just switch out the different types uh, that, that you are trying. But you know, salmon is going to help your brain. Um, Red meat has, has some, uh, you know, has some good, um, has some good benefits and good nutrients in it, as do other forms of meat and seafood. But if you happen to be vegetarian or plant-based or vegan, there are great sources, you know, there are chickpeas, there are legumes, um, there are uh, tofu, there are nuts and seeds that you can add into your diet that are very, very healthy for you. So it really depends on what you're eating and can you Challenge yourself to up your game, um, to improve your diet and do it slowly. Add, you know, make one to two changes at a time and make sure that they stick.
0: One more final question is, if there's one piece of advice that you could give to our listeners in, in terms of what you teach and what you've written about, what would it be?
1: That we shouldn't overlook the power of food. And that for many years, we go into our doctor's office and we talk about um, you know, someone in my uh, family has hypertension. What should I do? What could I do to avoid it? What could I do? Uh, because over COVID, you know, I some people have gained some weight. But we're not talking about what food does to our brain. What food does to our brain impacts our mental well-being.
0: Absolutely, Doctor Naidu. Where can people find you online?
1: Absolutely. So um, I have a website, and feel free to subscribe to my website. It also has a link to the different places you can buy my book. That's umanaidu.md.com. But many people actually like to follow me on social, um, which is at d r u m a n a i d o o, which is where we put out information, recent research, um, updated facts that we like to share. How you interpret them is up to you. We we're not diagnosing and treating people when we put out a post, we're just saying, well, the study showed a certain fact about a certain ingredient, you know, maybe think about cutting back or maybe think about adding more of it for that reason. Uh, So I'd love to interact with people there.
0: And where can people find your book?
1: They can find uh, my book at Amazon and and local booksellers. Um, The uh, book is called The Food Mood Connection in Certain Parts of the World, like India. Um, And the book is called, This is Your Brain on Food in Other Parts of the World.
0: Fantastic. Everyone get the book, This is Your Brain on Food. Follow Dr. Naidu online. She has incredible information to share. Uh, I've been following her for a while and I'm so blessed that she's finally made it on the podcast. Dr. Naidu, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much, Stefan. It was a wonderful conversation.
0: Lots and lots of learnings today. A tremendous amount of things to think about. And I hope you learned as much as I did. What I did take away was that you can't supplement your way out of a bad diet. And you can't exercise yourself out of a bad diet. It starts with good whole foods. And nutritional psychiatry provides different foods that are beneficial for your mental health. All given in Dr. Naidu's book, This Is Your Brain on Food. With the times that we're in her work is becoming more and more important and so have a look at her book have a look at her blog to see what foods you should and should not be eating eat in a way that allows for the success of our brain